0: You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. Uh, before I do preach, I'd just like to pray, actually. Uh, I also was at a wedding yesterday, a different wedding to Adam. But you can feel the love in the house this morning, can't you? Is it me, or is it you just feel like God's obviously speaking to us? Um, I very much, I love the church. I think we're family. And that's the whole thing of us being a family together. I think it's great Kathy praying out. Many of you won't know Kathy's mum died this week, but she's still coming and saying, God, I know your love, and we want to stand with you, Kathy, in that. You know, it's a sense of us saying, oh, come on, we're a family together. You know, and I think, oh, there's loads of different things going on within the family. And sometimes I think, oh, how do we share this? I know there's people here, you know, and they're looking for jobs or doing job interviews. I know there's somebody come to work today, come to church today, and going straight on to work till three o'clock in the morning, because they love being in the family. I love that. You know, there's a sense of us being together and just a sense of excitement. I love the fact that I spoke to Alex this week and he's going to get baptized on the 13th of December. I think that's all family things, isn't it? It's exciting being together. I love the fact that I met up with Christian and Angie who are going to stand for me right now because they got engaged this week. We love that. They're the ones in the matching t-shirts, not brother and sister. (laughs) There's just so much, isn't there, that we can thank God for. And I'm not quite sure what is going on in your life, but I believe the word of God is living, and I believe it's relevant. Father, we want to come, and we pray that through this story of Elijah, you'd speak into every circumstance. Lord, we do love being a family together. We love the fact that we're diverse, brothers and sisters But actually, we love the fact you're our Father and that you speak to us. Actually, we're called together in this family because you love us. And the love we receive from you, we pass on to others. We do ask that you'd speak to us through this story of Elijah that we're looking at this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, what I'm going to do this week, uh, if you're new here, just explain it. I'm actually going to be telling the story, and then I'm going to be reading the Bible at the end. We believe the Bible is God's word. This story is from the Bible. This story took place almost 3,000 years ago. This was a guy called Elijah. Uh, you may have heard of him. You may never have heard of him. He was a, a fairly rural character who was passionate for God. He was a prophet, which meant he spoke the word of God, to God's people, and beyond. This story takes place in modern-day Lebanon. So if you wondered whereabouts it was taken, it's a true story. The place is just north of Israel. If you've been out there, it's just west of Syria. It's a mountainous country with a Mediterranean climate. It was characterized by long, hot, dry summers and short, cool, rainy winters. This is the kind of picture where this story takes place. This, this The guy in this story is... I was going to say central to many people. If you were a Jew, you would know lots about Elijah. When they say grace before meal, they often mention Elijah. <clears throat> when a child is circumcised, Elijah is mentioned. When they celebrate the Passover, Elijah is mentioned. This is a key guy. For Christians as well, we would say Elijah, he was a key character. Many would say Moses in the Old Testament was the great lawgiver. Elijah, the great prophet. In fact, there's so much similarities that we're almost, we could say, God is saying, look, these two guys are similar and important. Moses had to flee from the anger of a king, Pharaoh. So did Elijah. Moses brought a challenge to Pharaoh in contest with his magicians and priests. So did Elijah. We're looking at that story in two weeks' time. Moses spends 40 days in prayer seeking God. So does Elijah. Moses needs assurance that God is... Presence and glory is with him, and so does Elijah. Moses feels the burden of the failure of the people, and so does Elijah. Elijah, this character that we're looking at for these four weeks, many would say was a forerunner of Christ. And when John the Baptist turns up, it was almost like, hey, he was in the, the sort of the, the line of Elijah. So, let me quickly tell you the story that's been happening about this significant person before we get to today's. Elijah has come and met the king. The king of Israel is King Ahab at this time. King Ahab is a descendant of of David and Solomon. They were good kings. Unfortunately, Ahab has been a bad king. He's been a bad king because he's led the people away from God. It says that he sort of made up sin. He was one of those. Therefore, God has come and said, as judgment on you and the people, I'm going to stop the rain. Now, rain was really important. It's an agricultural community. And so Elijah says, right, I'm going to pray, the rain's going to stop, and it won't start again until I pray. And we were looking at that two weeks ago. If you're British, you might think, praise God for Elijah. (laughs) They didn't think like that, you know what I'm saying? They were thinking, oh golly, what's going to happen? It didn't rain for three and a half years. Elijah then goes and and hides from the king who wants to kill him beside a brook. And there, the the ravens bring him meat and bread morning and evening, and the water is there for him to drink. Obviously with the the lack of rain, the lack of dew, the brook dries up, and God tells him, you're to go to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath in those days was just north. It was about a 75-mile journey from the brook, and actually that was in Sidon. And Sidon was where Jezebel came from, and that's who Ahab had married. That was the king next door, married her to try and make peace. A bit like if you know the history of this country, we used to marry like kings and queens of France and Spain to try and get some alliance, stop them attacking us. They had done it then. Elijah is still in Zarapheth, and this is where this story takes place today. He is in Zarapheth, which is in enemy controlled country. He's with the widow and her son. Last week we heard about this widow. She was in a, a terrible plight. Elijah comes across her and says, Actually, would you give me a drink of water? And she says, Okay. She goes to get the water, he says, Would you give me something to eat? She said, well, look, I'm just about to make our last meal. I'm about to die. He says, no, you're not, because God's going to do a miracle. And it says that the oil kept on running and the flour never run out. And, and so <laughs> I guess he's entitled to stay. I mean, he's, he's paying the grocery bill under the name of God. I guess what I love about this story and what I'd love to inspire you with is the fact that Elijah works on so many different levels. It's either with a single widow Or it's with a king. I don't know if you see that. I think it's either in his own country or it's in a foreign country. I believe that the love that we've talked about this morning, the love of God, is not just something to be kept to us. I think that it could impact your workplace. I think it could impact this capital. I think it could impact the world. You think, golly, that's a big claim, Pete. But I think when you understand something of the story of Elijah, you realize that he worked on so many different levels. I think if you know the love of God, it should impact your marriage, it should impact your children, but it should also impact our whole community. If Ealing Borough is not a better place for Redeemer Church being here, we've missed something, haven't we? You look at Elijah and you think, here was a guy. So we know that he's with this widow. The widow had one son. We, we, we're told that. Therefore, emotionally, physically, probably spiritually, if I could even say that, she was connected, dependent, reliant upon this son. In those days, you really needed a guy to provide. If you didn't have a guy, you could be in big, big trouble. It was almost like you were doomed to death. Whilst Elijah is staying with this woman, the son gets ill. Now, you know, some of you ladies, you already think, oh, man flu. It's nothing. He probably whinged on a bit, and there was nothing really going on. The fact was he got worse and worse and worse. Until he dies. Can you imagine what that must have been like for this lady? So I was like, golly, why? I guess like many of us, she reacts when faced with this difficulty in trial. She accuses the person nearest to her. She says to Elijah, what have you against me? Have you come here to try and uncover my sin? Have you come here to, to judge me? I guess it's a huge challenge, isn't it, when difficulties come our way. Let's be honest, I know some people here going through real difficulty. Talk about, you know, I think, he needs not being well, being off work. That's hard. How often do we cry out, why? You see, sometimes we think, maybe like the lady, hey, if I've got the man of the God in the house, then I'm going to be covered. We can almost get a little bit superstitious with God hey, if I put my money in the pot, if I serve, if I go along the church, I'm covered. Then nothing bad's going to happen to me. And then sometimes it, it, it does. Sometimes you think, well, I was falsely accused. I've not been well. Hang on, there's too much month left at the end of my money. You know what I'm saying? We get caught in those kind of difficulties, don't we? Sometimes you think, for no apparent reason, I read, they're commentators, They people that have read the Bible over years. Many of them are now dead. You can read their books and they try and understand. And many would say that actually, they don't believe it was the sin that had led to this. Very similar, there's an example with Jesus in John chapter 9. It's almost like there there's no sin here. This is not a judgment for sin, this illness. It just happened. I don't believe that actually, you know, just when everything goes wrong, we've got to suddenly say, I've sinned. But bad things happen. And then surely we cry out, why, don't we? What happens in the story is Elijah never answers the question. Now, get me, you know, we've got to try and understand this. It was not like Elijah was watching the World Cup and didn't hear the question. It's not like he was so fixated on something else. She cries out to Elijah. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't spend energy on trying to explain Elijah takes responsibility. What Elijah does is he goes and picks up this dead child and takes the child and lays him down on his own bed. And then Elijah cries out to God. It's like this prayer. You see, and, and it's, it's almost like... I mean, Jesus said, didn't he, actually, when you pray, you want to go to your room, you want to close the door. I don't think he was trying to be religious. I, you can pray anywhere, but I think actually what he was saying is the secret of prayer is prayer in secret. What he was really trying to say is actually we've got to get alone with God and cry out, and that's what Elijah did. There was no one there to impress. Some of us like praying with others, some of us find it harder, but it was nothing about trying to say a prayer that impressed anyone. It was like, actually... Getting alone with God. I think if there's a key to this church, I would say it's intimacy with him. I would say, and, and Richard's very gracious, and we like to be gracious because we believe God loves us so much, and we, but I'd say, make the 2nd of July a high priority. Why? Because part of us is saying, actually, why couldn't we take one day out of a month and think, actually, I, I don't need to eat that day. I could cancel something. I could free up some time i would be really honest, the danger, and I work for the church, I mean, goodness, if anyone should pray, I could just do an extra hour's work that day. I could just sit at the desk a little bit longer. No, actually, what we want is intimacy with him. I would say, come on, let's be those. Like Elijah, that cry out to God. Uh, You know, I don't know, some of you, how long you've lived in this country, you, you probably find it really funny that they say about the British, they queue for everything. You know what I'm saying? There's something polite, isn't there? You know, even at the bus stop, we seem to everybody seems to queue. Now I've noticed now now actually the elbows are better just for getting on. But it's, it's well, I don't think Elijah patiently just queued before God. I, I don't think this was Elijah just sort of saying, "Look, I'll wait because you look busy." You know what I'm saying? And when you finish doing what you do, maybe you could give me a word. I think Elijah was desperate. I think he would have taken this child and just been absolutely. Oh God. Would you do something here? See, he recognized that God was in control of everything. I don't think he had to hide his pain from God. Sometimes, even as Christians, I think the problem is that we think God is too small. Well, how do we act like that? Well, what we do is we get all angry and we get all worked up, and then we pray and we just say the nice things to God. And God thinks, look, I just heard what you were thinking don't deny it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh God, I'm fed up. Oh God, oh Father, you're so good to me. You know. And then, now actually, we've just got to be very real with God. That's not that we don't honour Him, worship Him, but I think there's something in our prayer that just actually comes and, like Elijah says, "Oh God, I cry out to You." I encourage you, be those that cry out to God. So then what the story tells us is that Elijah cries out to God and then he lays himself upon this child. Now, I read stories like that and I think, that is not PC today, you know what I'm saying? That would just seem a little weird, you know? I was thinking, when we're telling these stories, I think, should we act these stories out? Now, I've got a teaching background and I know that you don't do that kind of stuff, you know? what I'm saying? Oh, You don't do that kind of stuff. No, th- th- that would seem odd. Some people have tried to interpret it, it was his body war that he laid upon this child in his body. I think, why do they do that? Why? Because they want to talk out a supernatural God. What they're trying to say is, oh, this guy was actually, he was quite switched on with medicine. I mean, he was decades ahead of it. No, no, it was a miracle. God supernaturally touches this boy. But actually, this is what I love. The prophet was a catalyst for the supernatural God. And I believe that that is still true for us today. That actually we're to be catalysts for God to act. And that so often God doesn't act because we don't get on and do some almost prophetic action. I have to be careful I get carried away. I was speaking at Simon and Donna's wedding yesterday and I, I was just a visiting guy and somebody else did the actual thing. And she said, you've got to try and hold him still because he does walk around. You see, I feel it's a prophetic action, you know what I'm saying? We've got to be excited, we should get engaged. I think it's like that with us and God. You know, I think when we pray and when we do things, I believe God acts. I, I don't understand how the supernatural God, why does he wait for me? And I know that he could supernaturally do anything, but he does. That's the mystery and the beauty of God. If you pray, he wants to answer. I have to be really careful giving illustrations because my kids are in this meeting. But well, I was with a friend this week, and he was saying that his son had been at university, just done his first year, and got himself into a bit of debt. And so for Father's Day last year, he wrote a check and cleared his son's debt. Yeah, okay, kids, if you're listening, forget it, it's not happening. <laughs> and then he said, my son wrote to me and said, oh, wow, that's just so amazing. Dad, I'm just so grateful for what you've done. And he said, I'd do loads more for them. Don't they realize that? And I think sometimes that of us with God. I think God would do much, much more. And sometimes we just don't talk. I was going to say, make the arse. Don't get involved. I sometimes find that when we step out and you think, oh, God, if you don't act now, I'm in trouble, God acts. If you want to pray for someone who's unwell at work, I believe God comes and acts. And the danger is that so often we sit back. He was a catalyst to see something act, that something happen. Elijah didn't just sit back, but he came. Now, again, my concern with these kind of things is that we can then turn this into a formula. And, and the danger would then be, oh, Pete says, you know, if something bad happens, lie on the situation, lie on the person, you know, what I'm saying? lay down, here we go, one, two, three, and up they go, you know. No, I do not think it was a formula. I think there was something of a relationship in hearing what God was saying. And so I want to stir you that we are to be those that catalyst, but we've got to be those that listen to the Holy Spirit. And what's he saying? Where is he asking us to step out? What's he asking us to do? Even at great cost. Why do I say great cost? Because I know there's biblical scholars here this morning that would say to me, Ah, oh, but Pete, you didn't mention Numbers 9, 6, and 7. The way Richard holds himself there. He was thinking that. I'm very aware of that. Numbers 9, 6, and 7 says that if you touch a dead body, you make yourself ceremonially unclean. Oh, God, didn't Elijah remember that? Why on earth did he pick up the child? Why didn't he say, hey, bring this. No, no, don't put him on my bed. I don't want anything touching me to be unclean. Hey, go and stick him on your bed. You wait there. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to pray, and hopefully God will do something. Because he said, look, whatever the cost, whatever the personal inconvenience, whatever the challenge to who I am, I want to pay a price for this. I cannot sit back. It's almost like this situation demands that I get involved. I think, how do we feel about that? So even I talk about, oh, well, actually, I'd love people in healing to know about Jesus. Do we want to sit back and say, okay, maybe we'll pray? You see, that's why I love Chris. Chris it is going to be his 70th birthday. I've told everyone he's 70 for the last year. It's this Saturday. Chris, happy birthday on Saturday. Hits 70. This guy so wants people in Ealing to know about God that he's involved in setting up the food bank. That is it 1,400 they fed in the last first six months? They're opening their fifth centre in the 3rd of July. There's going to be a celebration on the 10th of July. There'll be a slide about it next week. You can get involved in this. I just think... He could be sit back and thinking, oh, golly, we'd love you to do something in the evening, but not... I know that... I try and pray with a guy once a week. I struggle to get an hour with him now. You know what I'm saying? I have to go to him on the Sunday. Have you got an hour for me? Well, I've got a meeting here, or a meeting now, I've, I've got five meetings today. Why does he do that? Because actually, he wants to bring something of God to this place. And I think, well, what about the rest of us? Are we prepared for that inconvenience? Are we prepared for that challenge? I dream about this place, this place being too small. Well, that'll happen because we make ourselves available, because we pay the price of connecting with others. The wonderful thing of this story, and I will be reading it in just a moment, is that God heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life is returned to him. I mean, to me, this is just amazing, because it's almost like, God is not only the God of food, and we are all very grateful for that. He made the food keep going for the three years. God is also the God of life. And so we see this in this story, don't we? Life was made by God in the Garden of Eden. It was good, perfect. And then it was spoiled. Sadly, sin entered, shame came, fear came, death came. But then there's this triumphant. This story... True story. I know I'm telling it. We will read it in the Bible in a moment. It is the first recorded raising of the dead in the whole of the Bible. There was no precedent. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't Elijah. It was like, wow, God just come. I believe God wants to do new things all the time. I think mean, who knows what God will do through us. Who knows? It's suddenly we think, hey, I've never prayed for somebody's bad ankle before. But now, I've never prayed but this, but God could do it. This I believe we can get from the story here. The beautiful thing I think about this and the whole thing of life is it's not the last raising of the dead. It's almost like something happens and then loads of things happen on the back. So Elijah raises the dead. Well, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that actually Elijah had a sort of disciple, and it's easy to get the two confused, called Elisha. Now, Elisha also raised a dead person, and many would say there was a sense of anointing. In fact, Elisha went one up on his master. Because when Elisha had died, one time he was, uh, they, were, they were burying someone, and the enemy was coming. And they said, oh no, what are we going to do? Quick, let's run. So they took the dead body, they threw it where Elijah was buried, and went off, and they came back and found the guy had been risen. Elisha was so powerful, he raised someone from the dead when he was dead himself. Okay, we know it wasn't Elisha, we know it was God. But I mean, you know, it's almost like Elijah kicks open this door, hey, resurrection's about to begin, and suddenly it starts. We know that Peter, one of the disciples, raises someone from the dead. It tells us in Acts 9, verse 40, a lady told Dorcas, she was in an upper room, she was dead, her body had already been washed and ready for burial. Peter goes in and prays. She comes back to life. We know that Paul, Paul was the one who persecuted the church in the New Testament. Yeah? Paul preached so long that somebody died. <laughs> I mean, come on, you guys are thinking, Pete, pick it up, pick it up, 12 o'clock's coming, you know what I'm saying? There was a lad that was sat in the window listening to Paul. He's preached so long, he fell asleep, fell out the window. Paul goes down and thinks, this is not a good sign prays for the guy, raises him back up, and then what I find fascinating, he says he carries on preaching till the morning. <laughs> now, I'm sure if I raised somebody now, you would sit and listen to me all day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we haven't got anyone sat on a window ledge. I hope everyone's heart is feeling okay. I think that this, this door of resurrection, you could say, was opened here through Elijah. We know that Jesus raised the dead. When I started looking at this throughout the week, you think, wow, how many times is he doing this? We know that he does it with the daughter of an important and influential leader of the synagogue. You can read about that in Matthew 9, verse 24. The father requests Jesus' help. He goes to the room, raises her from the dead. We know that in Luke 7, that he's walking towards the village of Nain, another widow. She's burying her son. It's almost like carrying along. Jesus says, hang on, stop, (laughs) stop. Look, this is not really the polite thing to do. A funeral is going on. It says he raises the son. I mean, that is just... I find that mind-blowing, don't you? We know that when Jesus goes to meet his friends, Mary and Martha, it's four days late. We know that Lazarus, his friend, their brother, has been dead and in the grave for four days. I can't explain, I haven't got time to explain all the significance of that. But Jesus was so powerful that after four days, he says the word and he comes back to life. And what I love about that story is when Jesus is by the tombs, what does he shout? Lazarus. Because if he had said, come out, he might have emptied the whole place. (laughs) Don't you think that's how powerful Jesus is? I mean, there's something there of believing for life, isn't there? Jesus comes on and says, Lazarus! And they think, oh, it's your turn, out you go. The others are probably there thinking, is he going to call my name? You see, I believe that he is the Lord of life. And we can think, oh, well, Pete, that, that sounds amazing. I, I don't understand why I haven't got a few more amens yet, because when you start thinking about this, you think that is incredible. But what about you? Because when Jesus sent out the twelve. He commissioned them in Matthew 10, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Wow. So I believe that Jesus comes and says, actually, he brings life. And we are to be bringers of life. When John the Baptist was in prison, It wasn't a good day. He told Herod, what you're doing is wrong. Herod said, I don't like you telling me that. You go to prison. He's obviously sat there questioning what's going on. He sends one of his disciples to go and look at Jesus. It's almost like, what's happening? And what does Jesus say is evidence of the kingdom? In Matthew 11, he says, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is preached. I think it's evidence of the kingdom of God. I honestly do. This is my prayer. I, I can honestly say I've never prayed. I have prayed for the dead to come back to life. I've never seen it happen. I'm being totally honest. But actually, I think, is there something we should be believing for? If you're visiting us, I don't often preach on this kind of thing. You might think, spooky, where's this guy going? Actually, this is how big our God is. And so suddenly I think, what's the Bible say about this? Where do we believe about life? Do I think this was just some great story 3,000 years ago? Or do I think it provokes me today? What is the power of God that's here today? I know that Christians throughout history, there are Christians alive today that have seen this happen. I guess what I do know is that many of us have got areas in our own life where we feel dead. And Jesus wants to speak life into those. You feel guilt and shame because you look at pornography and Jesus wants to speak life.
1: You feel guilt and shame
0: because you've lied to your husband or your wife and Jesus wants to speak life. Actually, you feel, oh, I've, I've messed up, I've done that, I've never confessed it, and Jesus wants to bring us life. You see, ultimately, why do we keep going on about Jesus? So I just go back one, Isaac. We think about Jesus and life because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus was the one who bust out of the tomb. We don't know this was a tomb, but this is why I put that picture. He was the one that was killed. We know that he died upon a cross. We know that literally he, he was whipped, tortured, suffered. He died upon this cross. He, even, it records in one of the Gospels, they checked that he was dead. They were going to break his bones. They didn't need to. They put a spear in his side. It's like the, the evidence of what came out was a testimony to the fact this man was dead. They take him dead. They put him in a tomb. But he bursts out alive. Death could not hold him. We so often sing about that on Easter Sunday, but that is the wonderful truth. This is what they've been looking forward to. Every other story I've told you was different to this one. Because if you wanted to be technical, the others were resuscitations and this was resurrection. The others came back to life to die again. Jesus came back to life never to die again. You know what I'm saying? Lazarus, they had a great time unwrapping him. They had a party saying, here's the party man. Four days ago he couldn't eat, but now he can. But there was a day when he died. This widow's son would have died. But actually, Jesus rose and lives forever. This surely is the amazing difference, isn't it? He's turned everything around. This whole concept that had been building up throughout the Bible, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's risen, he's alive. And not only that, he offers us resurrection life. He doesn't say, I resuscitate you. He doesn't say, look, I'm just going to give you the kiss of life now. (laughs) Excuse the pun that means, hey, you can just enjoy the rest of your days. He doesn't say, I just want to kiss you to get rid of the, the sort of feeling of death in you now. But actually, you ultimately, as Christians, we believe that we'll be raised and spend all eternity with him. I mean, to me, that is, that is the beauty. I know that Kathy grieves for the loss of her mum, but I actually know she's able to she, she shared the gospel with her mum. She has some hope. I preached at my own granddad's funeral 18 months ago, and you think, golly, how'd you do that? Why? Because I know he believed, and I know where he is. It's that excitement and that hope. It's not just a resuscitation, it's a resurrection. I believe that this story therefore brings us hope. You see, the lady at the end of the story says, wow, I knew you were a man of God, but this is absolutely something else. I kept thinking about that. Isn't that interesting? She'd been eating his food for who who knows how long, we don't know. But actually, this is something that blew her apart. And I sometimes think some of us still approach God like the lady was. It's almost like there's something of almost religion here. I know about you. I've experienced something that you do, but I don't understand it. And there there was a life-changing encounter. So that she no longer just said, oh, I, it's almost like I fear you as a man of God. I know that your God lives. And that's what even Richard was saying to us this morning. You might be here today thinking, well, I know a little bit about God. I was taken to church as a kid. I don't even know why I'm here today. I'm just pleasing somebody. And actually, God would want to say, I'd love to open your eyes so it's not just an awareness of God, but it's a knowing God. It's almost like that's the kind of life I'd love to bring to you. I think this is the great thing. This is why I love it. Like Alex wants to get baptised. What he's saying is actually almost maybe I knew a little bit about you but now I know you're God. I understood something about you. I was brought up in church but now I know and follow you myself. This is what it's about, isn't it? It's not about some religious thing. It's about relationship with God. We're going to break bread in a moment because that just reminds us that actually Jesus did this with his disciples. He then said, look, to be honest, I want you to keep doing this stuff. Because one day I'm going to come back, and then we will be eating and drinking with him. But before we just get to that, and I like the hallelujahs, keep them coming, Rachel. I'm going to read this story, because I want you to realize this is in the Bible. 1 Kings 17, Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me? Man of God, did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, laid him on his bed. He cried out to the Lord, "O oh Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into his house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. The woman said to Elijah, Now I know you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Richard's going to lead us as we now pray bread together.